Welcome to the BMAC Multiply Send podcast. My name is Matthew Perry, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road Baptist Church in Centennial, Colorado. This episode is a recording of a teaching we did on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago from Matthew 5, 21 to 26, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is about settling matters quickly. I hope this will help you become hopeful, joyful disciples of Jesus so that you would know that um, Jesus is more than enough for you. God bless you. Hey, listen, I'm so glad we're able to be here together. I wanted to capture a study that we did last night here at Arapahoe Road. And one of the studies was, um, it was in a, in a series of studies from the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to jump right into Matthew 5, 21 to 26. And I want to give you a little bit of background. And then hopefully we can move forward well in understanding what Jesus is trying to tell us from the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached. So here's the passage. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, it says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And again, that's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. So it'll be good for us to, uh, to catch up a bit. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of, if not the longest um, narrative that Jesus gives, this, the longest discourse. In fact, it's one of five that are found in the Gospel of Matthew. As you look at the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, you see that Jesus in chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, that Jesus said, and seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, rabbis, Jesus was always teaching. And, and as rabbis were always teaching, even as they were walking along. But when they sat down, that means that now this was going to be and I would say an official uh, talk, a talk that had some tremendous gravity. There wasn't going to be a lot of back and forth. There's going to this was going to be a one-sided monologue that was going to be talked about. And boy, that's that's when they were it was catching their attention. So it wasn't just talking about how Jesus was positioned just because it was adding to the story. It was actually talking about okay, this is what he was doing as a rabbi and showing that there's gravity to, to what's being said. While we won't go over all of the Beatitudes one-to-one, there is a progression to the Beatitudes. It starts off by being poor in spirit and a recognition that there is a spiritual destitution that we all have. There is nothing that we have spiritually that we can look to God and say, God, you must commend me for this. That's not the case. In fact, what's, he, what's the case is, is that we have nothing and that we have a, a complete reliance on who he is, and and what he's done to help us out. Um, Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. You're mourning now over your sin. 
You're mourning over your separation from God, for they shall be comforted. If, there has to be a recognition of our own sin in order to find comfort from God in that way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the work. That's strength under control. You begin to realize it's not about you anymore, and you begin to realize that your strength is found in him. And they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but now his righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then the change, the pivot changes and takes place. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the peacemakers are ones who are helping reconcile a sinful humanity to a holy God. That type of peace that's going on. Not an absence of conflict, but a presence of the peace that God has given to us thanks to what Christ has accomplished for us. For they should be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there you see that inclusio. In verse 3, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now so we see this completion and totality of what kingdom people are supposed to be all about. So now before you had nothing to commend to God. Now what we're seeing here is that you're being persecuted because you have completely and totally set self aside. He goes on to talk about blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when we begin to live completely for Christ, then what's going to happen is there is a a shift, a transition that takes place where we're no longer worrying about ourselves. We are living for the cause of Christ. And if we get persecuted, so be it. We'll be in good company. And we can rejoice and be glad because we are following his will and his way. Verses 13 to 16, very familiar in church world, where we talk about salt as the preservers of the gospel. We are the salt of the earth, and we are the ones who are preserving the gospel in this world. We're also the light of the world. And that light is the presentation of the gospel. So we are preservers, as salt was that preservative back then. They didn't have refrigeration, so salt was that preservative that was that was tightened up, that was in, in, this, in this package, and it was tight, so no minerals could get in. If that minerals came in, that salt would lose its curative work. But we are also the light of the world presenting the gospel. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. And really what leads into the these pieces from Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 to Matthew 5 verse 48. What leads into these pieces is the fact that Jesus is calling all of us to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because unless we do that, we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now again, keep in mind back then, the Pharisees were the ones that were not only teachers and keepers of the law as far as protecting the law. And there's a long story behind that, which we can go into at some point. But at that point, they were the keepers of the law, but they were also the ones who were showing how to keep the law. And what was going on, though, is they were coming along and they were, their, their traditions were not what they should be. And they were actually lessening what the word of God was actually saying. D.A. Carson says that Jesus appears to be concerned with two things, overthrowing erroneous traditions 
and indicating authoritatively the real direction toward which the Old Testament scriptures point. That's, and he's exactly right about that. He's exactly right. So Jesus is building on this previous paragraph. Now, in order for us to really understand how um, Jesus is going about presenting his argument here, especially when it's dealing with the issue of anger and murder and such, we need to be sure we're clarifying our terms. So let's take time to do that. The first term that needs to be um, understood is anger. Anger. What's Jesus talking about? Is all anger bad? Well, no, not all anger is bad. Not all. It's not all bad. And Psalm four, it, it talks about how there is a, a Psalm four four. There is a necessary anger that is to be had. And Ephesians four twenty six, where it talks about don't let the sun go down on your anger. In your anger, do not sin. So there are going to be times where there is a righteous anger that we. Um, are to have. The anger that is being talked about here in this passage, the anger that's being talked about is anger that wishes selfish harm that is based on your personal hate. It's a, it's a hatred that's there. It's a desire to harm a fellow image bearer of God based upon something that you feel that they have done to you. So when we talk about anger, it's not all anger because Jesus expressed pieces of anger when he was in the temple and when he cleansed the temple. There was a righteous anger that he had about how they were dealing with religious issues. So anger. The next one is talking about you shall not murder. And so this is the sixth commandment, and it's part of the second table. If you look at the, the Ten Commandments, there's two tables to that. Commandments 1 to 4, the first table dealing with the relationship with God. Commandments 5 to 10 are the second table that's dealing with the relationships with each other. So when Jesus in Matthew 22 talks about how the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's basically saying those are the two tablets. On these hang all of the law and the prophets. Well, you see the consistency that's there in Old and New Testament. But what's what, what can be confusing, what can be really confusing, is when the King James Version says, Thou shalt not kill. And so some have taken that, that all ending of life is bad. And certainly you have to make sure that you are not violating your conscience in doing certain things. There are conscientious objectors. Maybe remember Sergeant Alvin York, and you remember his story about being a, a conscientious objector until there was conversations that happened and he ended up being a hero because he ended up taking a weapon and understanding what it was all about. But then you may have seen movies like Hacksaw Ridge where there was someone who wanted to serve, but he wanted to serve as a medic. He did not want to take up a weapon. And I know St. Augustine has um, written about um, the just war theory, which is worth looking up. This is something that we have to, to go through. But what we have to recognize is that Jesus is talking about, and the commandment is talking about murder. And so it's basically talking about, and it's an understanding of the taking of life due to negligence or carelessness or anger. It's a different matter that you have to sort through when you are defending your country or you are defending your, your home. Those are other things that we would make sure we needed to sort through, right? So, 
That's what he's talking about. He's talking about this type of murder due to negligence or carelessness or anger. When he talks about those of old, that's those that were talked to in the old under the old covenant uh, during the time of Moses. We're talking about judgment. That's not judgment. That's merely from an earthly standpoint. Although there is uh, there is some overlap there, but ultimately. The judgment that's being talked about is referring to divine judgment that comes from God, not judgment that comes from others. Now, when we get to the word raka, some of your versions may have that word raka or you fool. Uh, raka means empty. It can also mean a blockhead, um, but it can it is a term of derision. It is a term of abuse. P.G. Matthew notes that when we engage in gossip and slander, we are murdering our brother by killing his reputation. So now Jesus is not simply talking about the act of ending a life and not just a heart issue, but now also there's speech. Out of the overflow of the heart, he says in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we begin to understand that Jesus is talking about now our speech, and we have to make sure that we are being careful with that. So when we're talking about the hell of fire, well, that's Gehenna in the New Testament Greek. So that term was actually derived from the valley of the son of Hinnom. And if you hear that word Gehenna and you hear the word Hinnom, you see the similarities that are there. And it was basically an area that was west of Jerusalem that was the place where sacrificed babies were thrown. And so it was a cursed area. And so after a while, it got to be the city garbage dump, right? And it got to be the city garbage dump. It got to be a place where criminals were thrown in. And so and how do you get rid of garbage? How do you get rid of these things? Well, you set it on fire and it was continually being fed. It was an area that was under a curse and there was a fire that would perpetually go. And so the the picture that Jesus is giving is this picture of this perpetual and eternal fire. Now you can read up about this in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 19, about the valley of the son of, of Hinnom. But that's the idea is that this place served as a picture of eternal punishment that would happen to those who lived a life of idolatry and disobedience to God. Right now, some would say this is over the top. Why would there be an eternal punishment for temporary sins? And to that, I would respond much in the way R.C. Sproul responded when a similar question was asked to him. We who are made of the dirt are now imposing our thoughts on God and how he should operate. We have been made of the dirt. We should be ones who are totally complying to everything that he has called us to do. And that when we sin against him, we of the dirt, we who are the clay are the ones who are telling the potter how to operate. Shouldn't be that way. And so that's why we see this trajectory that has started in this life goes into the life beyond. Because if we don't want to be with our creator and we don't want to live a life of holiness, we are setting a trajectory that God is going to accommodate for us later on. We are the ones. He's the one that doles out the sentence, but we are the ones that are committing the crimes. It's just like here. So some takeaways from this as we close. Number one, you need to examine your hearts and you need to examine your speech to see if there's any anger 
that's against a fellow image bearer. And especially if that anger is against a fellow follower of Jesus. The passage is telling us that if we think that there's someone that has angry against us, then we leave our worship and go and be reconciled. Again, being a peacemaker, not just a peacemaker between God and us, but as a result, since we have had that reconciliation, we send that peace to others and we make sure that there isn't anything that is getting in the way. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and and try me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves before you go to the Lord's Supper. And there may be that, that peace that needs to be dealt with. Secondly, engage in reconciliation quickly. Settle those matters quickly. Otherwise, this will affect your worship of the living God in Christ. We see that. We are not to have anything fester. We're not to have anything lay when it comes to that. We take care of those issues. Number three, do not simply avoid anger. That's the negative aspect of it. But the positive aspect is love your neighbor and seek their good for the glory of God. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But I also want to read to you Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Jesus is warning us by what goes on in our heart, the anger that happens in our heart, that selfish, negligent, abusive, hateful anger against a fellow image bearer of God, and especially a fellow follower of Jesus. It comes out in our actions. It comes out in our speech. The Pharisees were saying, as long as you don't take a life, a physical life, then you're okay. And Jesus is taking it deeper and saying, you better get your heart right because it's going to come out in your actions. It'll come out in your speech. It affects your worship because you truly don't understand the reconciling work that Jesus did and what you have done toward him and what he did to reconcile you to himself. Don't. Don't let it affect your worship. Don't let it affect your relationship with the Lord. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins so that we might be one with him. We, as he lives in us, we are not a, just a reservoir of his grace and mercy, but we're a conduit of it as well. All right. Let me know if you have any questions, but it's been good talking with you right now. Let's be disciples and be, be discipled disciples who are discipling. All right. God bless you all. Thanks, everybody. Let's do this again.